Hey everyone, this is Matilda Aguirre Cooper, and you're listening to Finesse Your Wellness, the podcast that explores what it means to thrive and live well. On today's episode, I posed all my burning questions about women's health to Dr. Tosin Ajayi Satubo, an NHS medical doctor and private GP in London. She's the founder of Mind Body Doctor, a friendly and accessible space to educate and inspire people to look after their health. And you'll also find her on Channel 4's Embarrassing Bodies, where she continues to share her knowledge and passion for spreading health awareness. We discussed everything from sleep hygiene, to dealing with fibroids, to checking your boobs, to also knowing how to get the most out of our GPs. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Finesse Your Wellness Podcast, Tosin. It is such an honor to have you on the program, especially as I was saying to you earlier, not often do we get the pleasure, I suppose, to speak to real life doctors <laughs> to get their kind of medical point of view. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to jump into this conversation. Nice. Thank you. Um, but yeah, really the purpose of this episode is to kind of look at wellness from a medical point of view. Um, and I say that because when people think of wellness, they're a lot more comfortable with discussing like the lighthearted, fuzzy, cliche aspect of wellness. And people seem to be a little bit hesitant to kind of get a bit deeper, especially when it comes to all matters of health. So I guess just to kick off, why do you think people don't want to talk about health or don't talk about it enough? I think, you know, as a society, we've kind of been ingrained to not share our health problems. You know, you don't share your health problems with anyone else but your doctor. I think, you know, we've been taught to feel embarrassed by a lot of health problems. We've been taught to feel ashamed by a lot of health problems, which is really sad because health is one of the only things that affects everyone. You know, we all have health, it's individual, but our health affects us on a day-to-day basis. So it should be something that we can openly share, openly talk about. And although it's gotten better, it's still not where it should be, in my opinion. Yeah, because I think for myself, growing up, you learn a little bit of health at school and then you kind of go through puberty and then all these things start happening to you and you know you have maybe the nurse to kind of point you in certain directions but then it's almost like when you come into adulthood it's hard to know where to start Mm -hmm. and I personally was quite fortunate because my mom she's super into her health trained as a nutritionist and so we kind of had a little bit of knowledge as far as the things we should be mindful of so just make sure you're drinking enough water having your greens you know my mom used to even just be like, watch your blood pressure. And I'm like, what, what, what? (laughs) This is when I was pretty young, just because she was always like on a weekly basis, kind of checking her blood pressure. So I suppose like, what are the things that people should be, particularly black women, be more mindful of as far as embracing their health journey and just being more conscientious? I think that's the thing, just being more aware of health generally and understanding your body and knowing kind of what to look out for I always kind of try to simplify it although health isn't simple but I try to simplify it to four pillars of health so movement or exercise nutrition sleep and relaxation Wow! and 
often we have to be intentional about focusing on these things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think a lot of people often don't really take note of their health or wake up to it and start paying attention to these things sometimes until it's too late or until something's gone wrong or until the doctor says, you know, you need to start this medication. And often that's not necessarily too late because it's never too late to take action. But a lot of things can be prevented if we pay attention to our health or a lot of things can be you know, prolonged and we can live a longer, healthier life if we pay attention to our health. So movement, nutrition, sleep and relaxation and just trying to pay attention to those four things every single day, looking at what you eat, how you move, sleep. Sleep is such a big one. Um, I can't talk about sleep enough. And also relaxation. So looking at your mental health and stress levels and trying to pay attention to those four things. Just even if it's just starting off small, I think it makes the world of difference. Yeah, I think that's such a brilliant framework. And as far as the movement side of things, when I started Flygo Collective, that was very much our core focus. I mean, we tried to dabble in nutrition every now and again, but I felt like we were kidding ourselves a bit. Like, you know, some of us eat really clean. Some of us kind of struggle. But maybe just to kind of focus on the movement bit first, where I'm sort of at a loss is, is there such a thing as too much movement? Is the sort of minimum amount of like 30 minutes a day, is that what people should be working towards? I don't think there's such thing as too much movement. I think, you know, there's always, you can be addicted to exercise and I've definitely seen that. So yes, in in that sense, there is such thing as too much movement. When it becomes unhealthy and when you're feeling like you have to exercise and move your body for the wrong reasons, then yes, that can be detrimental, not just to your physical health, but more to your mental health as well. But movement is just so great for our bodies and our minds. I often talk about how movement helps our mental health and helps us feel better on a day-to-day basis by releasing, you know, all our good, good hormones. And it's great for our physical health, which we all know. So I don't think there's such thing as too much movement unless it's becoming detrimental. But a little bit every day goes a long way. And I try to stay away from the word exercise, even though it is exercise, but for some people that can feel really daunting, especially if they're not used to working out. Yeah. But just moving your body, moving your body in a fun way and something that you enjoy, whether that's, you know, going on a walk every single day or doing a little bit of dancing or going swimming, but trying to be intentional about moving your body every single day and trying to either get it into your routine or doing something on the side. But being intentional about it because for me that is I'm probably going to say that a lot today intentional it's one of my um I think it's an important word because unfortunately I think it is something that we have to pay attention to and if we forget to move or we're not you know putting it into our daily routine it's so easy for it to fall by the wayside. You know, life is definitely full of so many distractions. We spend so much of our of our life working. We spend so much of our life focusing on bringing up our kids. We spend so much time focusing on our family. And often we forget about ourselves. 
and things like looking after our health. So unfortunately, or fortunately, I just think we have to be intentional about it. 100%. One thing I'd find quite fascinating, and I suppose as someone who's kind of just in the fitness space and is sort of always looking outward is firstly, I mean, I love running. I've been doing it for such a long time and I've kind of gotten to that point in my life where it is lifestyle. You know, I love to train for races. It's just part and parcel with who I am and what I do, but there's also this massive trend towards people moving for aesthetics and trying to get a certain outcome. So things like, getting a bigger bum or, you know, trying to get a six pack, you know, like how, I suppose, what what is the kind of your perspective as far as when people are trying to attain a certain kind of body goal and using movement and I suppose to some extent food uh, to do that? I think it's, I think it's really sad. It it's definitely exists and it's not anything new, you know, sometimes we think we blame things on social media. We say, oh, since social right. media has been around, you know, things like this have gotten worse. But actually, if you look back to at least when I was growing up in the 90s, you know, you had so many things on TV. Adverts were all about, you know, weight loss, slim and teas, diet pills, shows like The Biggest Loser, although they were good in a sense. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they're not promoting the the right thing and the right way to um lose weight and they're promoting a body image that really often isn't attainable for a lot of people and the thing is about our bodies we're all so different we're all unique so when you look at one person on the cover of a magazine on social media who is slim with a certain figure um, a certain color of skin and you're trying to identify and look like that person it's never going to happen because you don't have the same genetics you don't have the same dna so it's really unrealistic to try and you know exercise to look a certain way or to look like someone that you've seen on social media and at the end of the day it's not sustainable either no often no it's often not. people look to quick fixes to to try and look a certain way and it's not sustainable and it has a big impact on people's mental health and the, the way they feel about themselves every single day. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm glad you've kind of um, unpacked that a bit because it doesn't seem to be going anywhere and there almost needs to be like this new narrative where, you know, it's all about movement and it's all about feeling good. And I think it is getting there. Um, but yeah, there, there is some way to go. Definitely. Let's talk about nutrition. And this is probably the one area where I I don't know, there, there's no shame there. But let's just say growing up, as I said, my mom was a nutritionist. So it meant that we were we ate really, really healthily. And then the minute I left home, my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I was trying to compensate for everything I wasn't able to have. Mm. And I suppose now at my age, I'm, I'm so much more mindful. I'm 41 now. I'm very conscious of, you know, how much is too much and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, but I suppose why is nutrition one of those areas that a lot of us struggle with? I think kind of for the reason you just said, so you were taught, I guess, from your mum, very luckily, mm -hmm. how to eat well. So although you steered off track, you kind of have the basic knowledge in the back of your brain. So yeah. it sounds like if you wanted to get back on track, 
you, you could because you have the basic knowledge where a lot of people don't. Um, a lot of people don't know what they should be eating. A lot of people don't know what's good for their gut and their health. And I really do think it depends on, you know, the environment that you've been brought up in. We're not taught these things in school. No. Unfortunately, we go to school and it's either what your mum or dad has packed in your packed lunch or the school dinners that they're giving you. Cottage pie, yeah. <laughs> exactly, cottage <laughs> pie and fish and chips and stuff out of a tin. Although I think that has changed. Well, I hope mm. it's changed. Um, I do think there's been a push to make school meals healthier. But again, we're not given that knowledge as kids. So often it's not until we reach adulthood and maybe out of wanting to take an interest um, in nutrition, people go out and find out more about it or possibly because something's happened with their health that they start taking more of an interest in nutrition. But there's some people that actually they don't fall into those two groups and Mm -hmm they just don't know any better than what they've grown up with, especially when it comes to different cultures as well. You know, luckily for me, my parents are very similar to your mom. So my parents are they're both in the medical field, they're both pharmacists, but they've generally just always been health conscious. So all the time when we've been growing up, there's always been this conversation, a healthy conversation mm-hmm. around food and a healthy conversation around how to make our cultural foods that we're so used to eating and that we love healthier or portion sizes, not to a point where, you know, we we started to look at food in a way that was negative because actually mm. it can be a careful balance, but in a way that we just started to become more aware of what was on our plate and what we were cooking with. So fortunately... I actually got that from my parents. And you'll be surprised, we don't actually get taught that much in medical school. So actually, even for me as a doctor, it was from my parents and going away to do my own learning. Right. Because presumably you, your parents are Nigerian. I'm just guessing from the name. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that would be so beautiful is when it came to our home food people could see the alternative as far as the healthier versions of these things. Cause that does feel, mm. seem to be like a sticking point. Like I remember this meme or if I, I think it was just a video about plantain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know the one you're talking you know the about. One I'm talking about. <laughs> and she was like, there's X amount of calories in plantain. And I'm like, but if it's not fried in that way, exactly. I don't know how else I would have it. So that exactly. does sometimes feel like a bit of a sticking point as far as our home foods, our comfort foods, our soul food even, and, and what we want to enjoy versus the healthier version of those things. Yeah, definitely. And I think also the problem is if people do want to change their diet, because I have lots of patients who, you know, are from a black background and they know they need to change their diet unfortunately as a GP we have literally 10 minutes with our patients which is just not enough time Mm. to really give them the tools and education to really help them on their journey so you're telling these patients you know you need to eat healthier you're giving them resources but all these resources 
are based on the average white adult. Right. So, you know, you're telling them to go away and eat examples of certain food when they've never even eaten these foods before. Right. It's nowhere close it's nowhere close to the diet that they're eating at the moment. So I think that's a problem in our society that we have this one size fits all approach often when it comes to nutritional advice um, and we just don't have the time to really give all our patients the advice the personalized advice that they need I feel yeah and so is there I suppose a necessity maybe a personal ownership for us to seek knowledge but by the right sources because as I said before we started our talk Dr. Google is very accessible you know yeah Dr. Google is, um, I have a love-hate relationship with Dr. Google (laughs) because the reality is Google can be a useful tool. That is the reality. So there are good resources and trusted resources on Google and it can be helpful. However, it can be really harmful as well because more often than not, the things that are going to pop up are not the trusted resources and not the useful resources, but the ones that get the most clicks. Um, And often as a patient reading something, you're not able to take the information and use it in a way that a doctor might. Right. So sometimes I know I've heard patients say, well, I've heard my friends say, oh, you know, I went to the GPs and I saw them on Google or something. And I'm like, it was very different to when you use Google. So often doctors will, you know, use Google and go onto a trusted website that they use and they can use the information or pick the information that they need and apply it right. to yourself. Whereas as a patient looking at Google, you're just going to probably pick the most scary information or the most relevant yeah. information and apply it to yourself. Um, so it's it's really difficult because I know it's the first thing that people go to, I, especially when people feel like they can't get an appointment with their GP or they feel like maybe they don't want to waste their GP's time when they can quickly Google something. But it's often not the best way, especially mm-hmm. if you have ongoing symptoms or you're worried, then please just speak to a doctor because Dr. Google's not going to give you the same answers, the same comfort and empathy, hopefully as well, that a doctor yeah. will give you. Nice. Thank you. And then let's move on to sleep because I have to say in the last year or so, maybe, you know, kind of ignited by the, the pandemic, I've had so much more respect and honor for sleep mm-hmm. than when I was, yeah, than pre-pandemic. I think sleep was one of those things where, and I suppose hustlers tend to say this a lot. It's like a distraction to work, (laughs) you know, and that you have these really kind of harmful notions like, oh, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And, you know, the whole kind of going ham seems to just be um, quite prevalent in our culture. But nowadays, yeah, come 1030 at the latest, I'm out. Bye. (laughs) Don't call me. (laughs) Don't knock on my door. Don't know. I'm over that. I mean, even to the point where, you know, when a show comes on and I really want to binge it, that might be like once in a blue moon because it's like I need my sleep. I suppose what would you advise people to ensure that they're just kind of getting more of it 
And the second part to that question is, where are we in terms of numbers? Because once upon a time, it was like, you must get nine hours or seven to nine. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's actually, I mean, the nine hours or I say seven to eight hours, it's actually not a myth, unfortunately. And I would say that's a good target because there's been a lot of research into how many hours an adult human needs to basically be able to rejuvenate all their body cells, which is really what happens when we sleep, ready for the next day. And just to clarify, is it does that only happen when we sleep or when we're still? I mean, it happens throughout the day, but got it. When we are sleeping, more of our body cells are rejuvenating, and there's been a lot of research to also show that people who get better sleep either live longer, have less chronic diseases such as cardiovascular diseases, um, lower rates of depression and anxiety. So yes, we want to aim for seven to eight hours sleep. However, it's not all about the quantity. So it's not all about the length. And actually, quality is so important. So even if you're getting less hours of sleep, if you're getting good quality sleep, then that's just as good. So yes, seven to eight hours isn't realistic for a lot of adults. And unfortunately, a lot of adults aren't getting that. But actually, if you're getting good quality sleep, and it's slightly less than that, that's okay as well. How do you define good qualities? Does that mean you don't wake up in the middle of the night? Or, you know, how do you know I've I've achieved good quality sleep? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult without, you know, attaching ourselves to an EEG, which is essentially something that monitors your brain activity we're never really going to I mean I don't advise anyone to go out on Google (laughs) or Amazon and find an EEG but we're we're never really going to know qualitatively how good the quality of sleep we're getting is but you can feel it you can feel it in yourself when you get a good night's sleep and you wake up with more energy you go throughout your day with more energy you're able to do the things if you look back at those pillars of health of health so you're able to Mm. probably move more you have more energy to exercise Mm. you're able to you know focus more on what you're eating and probably relax more because your cortisol levels aren't as high Mm -hmm. if you have a really poor quality of sleep you actually wake up in a stress state already and your cortisol levels are going to be high right on the outset, first thing in the morning. And that's not what we want. They usually are high in the morning, but they're going to be even higher because you're waking up in a state of stress. Got it. So quality of sleep is really, really important. And there's something that we call sleep hygiene, Mm -hmm. which essentially is looking at small tools or changes that we can focus on to create the best environment for a good night's sleep. So um, that's things like making sure the room is a certain temperature, Mm -hmm. making sure the room is as dark as possible. And darkness is really, really important because our body responds to darkness by producing melatonin, which is the hormone that helps induce sleep. So actually something so simple as making sure you have really good blinds in your room, especially on summer nights, can go a long way. Um, Looking at, you know, exercise that you're doing before sleep 
moderate amounts of exercise actually in the afternoon or even early evening are found to be beneficial to sleep but however interesting okay vigorous exercise too close to your sleep is found to be harmful because your body is going to be in a state of alertness so it's going to be more difficult got it to get to sleep so looking at things like that there's a long list of things when it comes to sleep hygiene and you can find stuff online about it but yeah it's definitely easier said than done I know sleep is I'm speaking I'm sitting here preaching about good quality and quantity sleep but yeah there's definitely nights well, we got to work to something <laughs> exactly. we got to have an aspiration <laughs> exactly oh. exactly be intentional about creating a good sleep environment and at least it'll be better than what it was before Exactly. And it's good to have the reminder. Um, And then the final pillar, relaxation, which already sounds delicious to me. (laughs) I think that's probably the the other pillar where I'm like, okay, movement, relaxation, sleep, nutrition. That would be my order as far as what I've kind of got locked down. But Mm -hmm. talk to me about relaxation and, and what does that kind of mean as far as how we can do a bit more of that in our lives? Yeah. So when I speak about relaxation, it's really another form of looking after our minds and our mental health mm-hmm. and I think that all of us are aware that you know we need to look after our physical health and like I said sometimes we are intentional about that and we'll schedule in when we're going to exercise or when we're going to move but we're often much less intentional about looking after our minds and how we feel and I always tell people to try and check in with themselves every single day yeah because like like I was saying before life can get in the way you know life is just Mm. constant and I think that was one of the if there was something good to come out of COVID and the pandemic it just made everyone slow down and yes took away a lot of distractions even though there was this distraction of this massive pandemic and virus going around the world I think everyone just stopped for a second. And I do think people realise how important actually looking after your mind and how you're feeling is. Yeah. So I always, a simple way of doing this, I mean, there's tools such as mindfulness or even things such as yoga, but I always say just taking time, whether that's 10 minutes in the morning or 10 minutes at the end of the day, Start by taking time for yourself every single day to check in with yourself. Ask yourself, how are you feeling? How was your day today? Um, What was good about today? What was not so good about today? And for me, I like writing those things down. For some people, it might just be sitting there being still with your thoughts, but as long as it's time for yourself. And for other people, that might be something more, such as, like I was saying, practicing mindfulness or going on a long walk as long as you're doing something for yourself every single day I think that's a good starting point nice yeah and it's definitely one of the reasons why I kind of pivoted fly girl to kind of not just be so movement oriented but to just bring in wellness and everything that comes with that because as you said if there's anything the pandemic taught us it's just that whole slowing down and just being so much more mindful of just you know what's going on and checking in with ourselves um so I guess the next thing I kind of wanted to explore then is you know this is such a beautiful 
framework of how or at least what the ideal looks like but then you know it's it's still quite clear that within the black community amongst black women there are health conditions that disproportionately affect us and so I kind of wanted to really understand kind of why mm-hmm. <laughs> and what and also what do we do so for instance Within the last year, I've had at least two friends who have discovered they've had fibroids and they've needed to get those removed. And then recently a friend, you know, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it just almost seems like it's coming out of nowhere. So I guess it's almost like what's happening to us and, you know, what what do we kind of do to even prevent these things from happening if there is anything we can do? You know, health is one of those things that, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, things are going to come up and things are going to happen to us. But I do think one of the things that we can do is have more conversations about Mm -hmm. the problems that we're going through and the health problems that affect us. Because, you know, if we talked more about fibroids, and fibroids is something that affects Black women disproportionately, to any other race Mm. and if we talked more about fibroids and if we talked more with our friends our aunts our sisters our mums then we'd be more aware of what possibly the signs are Mm. what to look out for we may go and see our doctor sooner we may get that scan sooner and therefore we'd be in a better position to manage it earlier um, same with things like endometriosis and right. and and cancer as well. You know, I think in our community as a society, we don't talk about health much, but in our community as Black women, we de- we definitely don't talk about it enough. And I mm-hmm. think that's culturally, you know, how we've been brought up. Often, you don't talk about your problems; you keep them to yourself. You know, you you get on with things, which unfortunately isn't healthy you know like I said health is something that affects all of us we shouldn't shy away from having these conversations I guess my question then is where does the conversation start so like for instance fibroids I discovered that I had some tiny ones on like a random press trip like it was the most random trip ever Um, back when I was doing more lifestyle journalism I had the opportunity to go to Thailand And part of that trip was to promote medical tourism, because I'm sure you're aware a lot of people tend to go overseas for certain treatments um, just because of cost price differences. So as part of that trip, I got like a medical like head to toe, like every health aspect that they that could ever be examined, they examined. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then they're like, oh, just FYI, you might want to talk about this with your GP when you get back I'm like about what and it's like oh and you've just got some fibroids I'm like what and it's like how how would I've ever known that and thankfully you know I did get them checked out when I got back home but I suppose it's like are any of these things preventative or is it just about if we do discover these things how we then move forward so like with my friend who discovered some lumps Mm -hmm. I mean I think it got to the point thankfully it was caught quite early. And I know people say you should always check yourself. You should always check yourself. But I suppose are there things that we almost need to make a habit so then if for whatever reason we do have a health concern, we kind of just know what to do? Yeah, definitely. And I think 
fibroids is probably not the best example because many women will actually have fibroids, but they're never going to cause problems. Right. Or they may not cause problems until they're bigger. And actually we don't we don't worry about fibroids. So for anyone that's listening, fibroids are growths that occur anywhere on the uterus and they can vary in size. Um, however, if they're small and not causing any problems, so not causing heavy bleeding um, or any unusual pains, then we don't worry about them. So actually often, just like what happened to you, and the same thing happened to me, I just went for a scan because I think, do you know what, it was in, I was in a clinic with a patient and I think I was, t- I was telling a patient who was around my age and she was talking to me about fertility and things like that. And I said, and cause she wasn't ready to have kids at that point, but she said to me, you know, mm-hmm. is there anything that I should be doing just to know, you know, where I am at? And fertility is one of those things that, you know, you can't predict. It takes two people and often mm-hmm. you find out what's happening when you start to try for a baby but I do think when it gets to a certain age, having an ultrasound scan, doing some blood tests, mm. checking your hormone levels, there's no harm in having information at your hands. And I was saying all of this to this patient, and I was just like, hold on, Tosin, you, ha- you haven't done any of this yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so actually the next day I went and I booked myself in for a scan. And same thing, the doctor was just like, oh, you have, you have some small fibroids. And obviously as a doctor, I was able to receive that information sure, and I was just like, okay, cool, fine. But I can completely see. And I had the same thought that, Oh, do you know what? If I was a patient and I didn't know what fibroids was, I would be like, huh? What? You know, I would go home and I would go and start Googling things. I can completely understand. (laughs) Yeah. I can completely understand. (laughs) And, um, often that's, that's, on us as doctors as well you know just given information in a better way probably would have been better for you but yes there are things that we can be doing I always say get to know your body so if something changes you're in a better position to spot it so with you know breast cancer examining your breasts every month we often say as doctors on the first of the month examine your breasts and yeah put a reminder in your diary if you're not going to remember on the first of every month have a feel of your breasts and you'll get so much more comfortable with examining your breasts and if anything ever pops up don't feel afraid or don't sit on it and worry just go to your doctor and get an examination Mm -hmm. from your doctor um because more than often most breast lumps aren't anything to worry about but if you pick up on something that is worrying and is concerning, then at least hopefully you've picked up on it at an earlier stage so then you can get the help you need as soon as possible. Yeah. So things like that, or even, you know, understanding your periods and even tracking your periods. So mm-hmm. if something changes, you're in a better position to understand and spot it. Yeah, no, I think this is so, so helpful. <laughs> um, because as I said, it's it's almost one of those things where, we almost need to be just more proactive yeah. and building it into everything else that we kind of do habitually. Mm. And I guess what's quite encouraging about 
this idea that, you know, if you do discover something, um, you know, there is hope. It's definitely one of the reasons why um, I now want to talk about embarrassing bodies <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> because, you know, I, I got to binge through the last series. And firstly, thank you for repping for us. <laughs> like, you know, when we got okay. a sister out there, it's like, she's repping for the culture. <laughs> it's definitely one of the reasons why I decided to do it because at first first I was just like "Mm, is this for me and then Mm. I put myself in the shoes of little Tosin watching the tv seeing a black doctor and that for me would have just been so impactful so I was just like okay even if I'm not doing it for myself which obviously I did as well (laughs) I'm going to do it for the community so I'm so glad you said that thank you so much yeah 100% because I think it frames doctors in in a way that makes them firstly seem so less intimidating the empathy really comes through and also there's a sense of hope so like I saw um the, the episode that really resonated was the woman who had alopecia because it seemed firstly you know alopecia is something that a lot of um black women deal with and in that particular episode it kind of felt like oh man like you know there may not be hope for her, but then just the transformation and the opportunities that, you know, were available to her. Like, it just made me think like, gosh, you know, everybody kind of needs that doctor who keeps it 100, but at least can point them in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was a difficult episode to film just because you could tell how much it was affecting her, not just, you know, physically losing your hair and the impact that, that it has on you, but it was taking such a toll on how she felt emotionally every single day, how she was treated by others. So I'm just really glad that we were able to get her some help. Yeah. And so what can people do to almost build a relationship with their GP? You know, I think, you know, in the, in the show, obviously there's these micro moments where you get to connect with someone, get to understand their story. And, you know, they're obviously very grateful for the advice that you can give them. Whereas I mean, I'm yet to kind of almost have that GP where I'm like, hey, you know, you've kind of seen me grow up, <laughs> and you know, on my business. Like, what can we do if there's anything we can do at all? I will say, honestly, right now it's really difficult mm. um, just because of this, uh, the current situation that we're in within our healthcare system. We have a very fast aging population and how we're currently set up and how GPs are set up. We just can't cope with the amount of patients that we have. So it's really difficult for patients to build that kind of longevity of a relationship that you used to get with GPs. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that you still can't build a relationship. And I think, first of all, finding a GP practice that you feel comfortable with So every GP practice operates slightly different in their booking system. And I think it's really important that you understand how that system works, understand how you can book appointments, because a lot of frustrations for patients stems at that outset from not being able to book an appointment or not feeling that they can get an appointment. So if you understand how that works, at the outset, you're going to have a better conversation with your GP. Because I I often locum, so I work in different GP surgeries. So when I have patients come into 
their appointment frustrated, it's often because they haven't been able to get an appointment and they've been waiting and they're already on edge. So that's already just going to put that consultation and relationship between you and that doctor already at a bad start. So trying to just, and it's not on any fault of the patient, but just having a better understanding of how the system works and speaking to the practice, speaking to the receptionist about how you can get an appointment when you need. And also just realising that often when you go to your doctor with a problem, unless it's an acute problem like a urine infection or a chest infection, often it's not going to be a one consultation fixes all problem. And I think understanding that and understanding that actually it may take a few appointments, it may take a few investigations to find out what might be going on and feeling that you can ask your doctor questions and feeling that your doctor's explaining things properly. I think just understanding that makes things Mm -hmm. a lot better for the doctor-patient relationship. But I will admit it's it's really not easy nowadays. But I think there's definitely some things that both patient and doctor can do to make that relationship a little bit better and more comfortable. Nice. And also, I mean, presumably the NHS website, you know, is a wealth of information too. 100%. I'm always referring my patients there. Not to bob my patients off, but because <laughs> I know that once a patient leaves my consultation room or leaves a phone or video consultation, they're probably going to have so many questions about what I've just said, or they're probably going to remember a question that they forgot to ask me. So if they know that they can go to a trusted resource where they may find the answer, then actually that might be all that they need and it might stop the worry or stress or anxiety that they may have if they were left with further unanswered questions. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great to know. I mean, one of the things I discovered on the NHS website was the fact that I'm eligible for an NHS health check because I'm 40 plus. Yes. <laughs> and it's meant to happen between now and the next five years. I'm like, okay, okay, I may be waiting, but who knows? <laughs> um, so, I mean, the thing I'm obviously loving is the fact that it will help discover disease before it becomes a problem. Is Is there anything, I suppose, for people who aren't eligible for that yet um are there things that they could be doing just to make sure that everything is ticking along in the way that it should be yeah just i mean an nhs health check basically you have an appointment where things are checked such as your height your weight um your you know smoking alcohol intake but you also have blood tests to check for cholesterol diabetes etc um because it's at the age of 40 hopefully we can pick people up that may be in the early stages of that Mm. so I think for people that aren't at that stage just again just looking after your body and going back to those four pillars of health which is something that we talk about often different you'll read different books have different number of pillars. Some say four pillars, some say six pillars, some say eight pillars, but essentially just looking at the basics of health and being aware and intentional about looking after your body. And if something comes up, don't sit on it. Always speak to your doctor. If there's something that comes up that you aren't sure about, don't sit on it because you might be picking up on something early 
or you might just be relieving some of those anxieties and worries that you have. So please, please always seek help if something new has happened or you, you're unsure about some changes in your body or even how you're feeling. Oh, Dr. Tosin, thank you so much. <laughs> I actually feel like so inspired. Like, watch tonight, the sleep hygiene is just going to be activated. <laughs> Yay, I'm so happy. <laughs> I can't speak for both of us on that, but I'll try my best. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you for doing the work. Thank you for, you know, repping for the NHS and at least, you know, helping as many people as you can. You know, if we don't say enough, you know, thank you. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. And we are there to help as much as people get frustrated by the NHS at times. The people within the NHS, the doctors, the nurses, dietitians, everyone. We're all there because our jobs are to help people. We want to do our jobs. So please don't feel like, you know, you don't want to put pressure on things. Because sometimes I hear people say, oh, they don't want to put pressure on the NHS. No, 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 no. If you have a problem, don't keep it to yourself. Please, please seek help. You're entitled to the help you need and you shouldn't have to suffer. So don't feel like you're wasting anyone's time, no matter how small you think the problem is. Amazing. Where can people go to hear more of your wisdom and knowledge and insight? And yeah, just just really connect with you. Yeah. So the main place you can find me and connect with me is on Instagram. So that's at mindbodydoctor. Um, I also have a website, which is www.mindbodydoctor.co.uk. So those are the two main places that you'll be able to find me. I'm recently new on TikTok, but yeah, <laughs> I'm still navigating. So everyone says about tips. So everyone says about TikTok, like yeah, <laughs> I'm navigating that world. It seems it seems great for the people that love it, and I'm trying to be one of those people. But um, find me on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to me, and um, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. So feel free to reach out. To me. Amazing. Thank you again. I am so grateful to Dr. Tosin for taking the time out to come onto the podcast because it is so important for us to become more comfortable with talking about our health, especially with health professionals. After all, Dr. Google can only do so much, okay? (laughs) So here are this episode's top three takeaways. Takeaway number one, be more intentional about understanding your body so you can live a longer and healthier life. Intentionality also means we can prevent things from developing or quickly take action if we notice things starting to change. Takeaway number two, health affects all of us. So it's important that we're all having more open conversations about the health problems we're experiencing with our friends and loved ones. The more we're talking, the more we can become aware of the signs to look out for and we may reach out to a doctor much sooner. And finally, takeaway number three, always seek help and while we know the nhs is stacked that's undeniable you are entitled to the help that the nhs can provide and there are plenty resources out there like the nhs website like dr tosin herself and if you go onto her gram you'll see that she offers a wealth of insight knowledge and advice so that's a wrap for this episode of finesse your wellness Brought to you by Fly Girl Collective, a space for black women and women of color who want to level up their wellness and lifestyle. You can follow Fly Girl Collective on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
or sign up to our mailing list at flygirlcollective.co for lovely tips, goodies, and invites delivered straight to your inbox. Also, if you love what you heard, rate and review us on iTunes. And if you're kind enough to give us five stars, we'll give you a shout out. Thanks a bunch for listening. Catch you on the next episode.